name is Rob Kowalski, author Why Waiting Works and The Truth About Sex, founder of City Fam. And today on the show, I'm going to welcome a special guest. His name is Doug Vopst. So he's a former convicted felon and a drug addict. He was sentenced to months in jail due to being found guilty of possession with intent to sell. With the help of a cellmate, he was able to find fitness and beat some personal demons and reinvent himself. Fitness ultimately saved his life, and now he helps others transform into the best version of themselves through fitness. With the drug epidemic at an all-time high, he is on a personal crusade to share his story with the hopes of inspiring others, not only on the power of fitness, but also to inspire others to beat addiction. He's written three books, From Felony to Fitness to Free, Faith Family Fitness, and his newest book is called The Heart of Recovery. He just celebrated 12 years in recovery, and his story has been featured on the Today Show, Men's Health, Rich Rolls Podcast, and others like Impact Theory with Don Billu. So with no further ado, let's go into the show and welcome Doug Bobst. Welcome to Kowalski Analysis. Rob, man, thanks for having me, bro. Yeah, dude, I'm grateful that you came on. How's the quarantine treating you? You know, man, it's, it's definitely interesting. You know, it's funny, like people keep asking me like, you know, what's going on with it, how it's impacting me. It's just, I mean, it's impacting me, I guess, in different ways. You know, I think at the end of the day, people are, they're not used to being isolated like this and closed off. But I mean, when I was in jail, it was a lot of this stuff. And even like just a lot of the stuff I do at home, it was very similar. So it's definitely different, like not being able to go certain places. But I know today, was it today or yesterday, they released a lot of the bands here in Maryland or start going outside you play golf so i'm excited yeah so are you still seeing clients yeah online i've seen clients like online and i have you know it's just kind of what i'm doing right now i'd like mm-hmm. to get some outside now that it's opening up a little bit but we'll see how everything goes i watched your uh interview on impact theory yesterday and it was it was awesome man i was super inspired and i just thought there was so much value in the things that you said especially for people that you know, maybe follow some of my content. I know a lot of people that struggle with, they struggle with addiction. They maybe they struggle with self-limiting beliefs. Mm. Maybe they made some mistakes in the past and, and they're thinking that, that they're disqualified, you know, from doing, having life a certain way or doing something great. And when I watched your story, I was like, man, there was just a, there was a lot of things that you said, a lot of nuggets in there that I think people need to hear. So just if you could give everybody, you know, a quick, overview of of your background and you know some of the things that they didn't hear in the bio well yeah I mean gosh it's been about 12 years actually Tuesday mark 12 years since I got arrested on felony drug charges it was arguably the the worst day of my life became my biggest blessing and I got arrested on Sigeti Meyer 2008 I was riding around with a few of my friends to go pick up some oxycotton at the time I had a three four hundred milligram a day Oxy habit, which we all know is treacherous and painful, and it's just it's terrible. And uh, I think at the end of the day, what people um, need to understand is that like sometimes we think of these setbacks as like what they are, setbacks, and it's like oh, like my life's gonna be this, my life's gonna be that. And at the end of the day, our setbacks can become our biggest blessings because sometimes like it's like that rubber band, like you're getting pulled back and pulled back and pulled back and pulled back, and then boom, you get propelled forward. And that's what happened with me. I ended up getting arrested. And a few months later, I was tried in in a court. And the judge sentenced me to five years. Everything's suspended, but 90 days, five years probation, 200 hours community service, all kinds of fines and drug classes. I got busted with a half a pound, $2,000 in cash. And I thought my life was over. 
So when he told me that when he was, you know, five years, everything's suspended, but 90 days, I was like, well, I'm not going to see my 25th birthday anyway. It doesn't really matter. You know, where's all this headed, right? I ended up reporting to jail a few weeks later, a week after my 21st birthday, I was crying. I was contemplating my life. And when I got to jail, my cellmate, Eric, got me to start working out. I didn't really formally exercise before. And here I was like 180, 190 pounds. I could have been a model for Pillsbury. And with his motivation in there, training me every day, I was able to do a set of 10 push-ups and run a mile, which is amazing for me because at the beginning, I could barely do one, a push-up for my knees. I couldn't do a push-up for my feet. He was the one that unconditional person that came into my life and showed me the power of unconditional love. Yeah. What happened as a result of that is that he just showed me the power of taking responsibility for yourself. He looked at me when I was in there because I was complaining. I was being the victim. I was saying, it's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. He was like, you can either be a man or you can be a bitch. He was like, you can man up, take responsibility for your actions, take responsibility for your choices, and look at the way you're responding to the situation. Or you can be a bitch, go cry in the corner, play the victim, blame these people, blame those people. And challenging about that for people, especially in this day and age, is people are afraid to look at themselves in the mirror and be like, you know what, like I messed up. People's egos are so fragile that they can't be like, you know what, my bad, or hey, I'm really sorry. I honestly am sorry about that. Yeah. And I got taught that the hard way when I was in jail. So I don't want to you know, harp on that too much, but it was definitely an important part of my journey because I learned like, okay, if I'm going to get better, if I'm going to make an impact, if I'm going to make a positive move, I got to own that moment. And for me, I just ended up being able to just take that and run with it. I was in jail, working out, doing all this stuff. And I remember my time in there had nearly come up and I looked at my cellmate and I was like, Hey, how am I ever going to repay you for like training me and giving me all this advice in here? He was like, well, just don't mess up and pay it forward. I was like, all right, cool. You still friends with this guy? Yeah, I still touch base them sometimes. I mean, not as much as I used to because we just went on different paths. Is he out? Yeah, he's out. Is he doing well? I think so. I mean, I really don't know as much as I used to. Yeah, I would imagine he is doing well with that attitude. It's tough because he was in the system for a long time. He was in jail for like 10 years. So it's not exactly apples to apples. It's not like he was in there like for a few months like I was. But still that personal responsibility in jail is very rare because you get a lot of people in jail with that victim mentality, right? Where it's blame it on the cops, blame it on their parents or their upbringing or that they didn't do it when most of the time they're guilty. So you don't get a lot of that people owning their shit in jail. You know, I I love the quote by Alrod with the miracle morning. They said, the moment you accept responsibility, for uh, everything in your life is the moment you gain the power to change anything in your life. And I love that quote because it, it's the hard way, you know, when you go, okay, this is my fault. I did this. Then it's empowering because now I have the power to change it, which automatically is responsibility because now all of a sudden you're like, you got to do something about it. You know? So if you play victim and you blame other people, you don't have to do anything, but then nothing changes. So I'd be surprised if your your cellmate, uh, you know, I just feel like that's a rare a rare attitude to find in jail. You know, you really lucked up by getting somebody that got it like that because you could have ended up with well, you could have ended up with a few things actually for cellmates, but that was a that was a blessing. Yeah, I mean, because sometimes you end up with people that you know just don't really care about you. Sometimes you end up with people that just don't talk much. Sometimes you end up with people that are kind of in in their own head doing their own bad things. 
At the end of the day, I'm so fortunate to have that happen. And that's why I'm just so thankful to be where I am today. And when I left, he gave me a workout plan and I have still have framed in my place it's sitting across my family room. So I never forget where I came from because I never want to forget those moments. I never want to forget those dark times because so many people don't make it. And that motivated me when I got out to start working out on my own and to follow the plan he gave me. I lost 50 pounds and then got really passionate about helping other people use fitness to change their lives. That's what inspired me to become a trainer. And I've been a trainer now for going on a decade almost. That's incredible. I mean, you've been sober now for how long did you say? I've been in recovery for almost 12 years, 11 and a half years, I think. Yeah. I think that's probably the thing that amazes me the most about your story is like, I get it. You know, you hit rock bottom, you're in jail, you yeah. come to your senses, you know, you get in good shape, you get out. But to be able to maintain it for 12 years, that's that's something that I feel like, what's the secret to that? Because that's not something that's common. It's tough, man. I mean, it's like, even like during this quarantine and just some stuff I'm dealing with now, it's hard, you know? Like, I mean, not that it's hard, not that I think about like doing drugs or anything. I'm just saying like, you got to really be careful of who you let in your life. Yeah. And, you know, the, one of the biggest things I've realized is you can't have toxic people in your life. You got to get rid of them. You know, and I mean, toxic for you. And I know we both see eye to eye on this. I was hanging around, I was running around with the wrong crowd. I was running around with people that were constantly doing drugs, making poor decisions. And I was becoming that. And I had my own responsibility in that. I had a choice, but I also believe that you are like the average of the five people you surround yourself with, right? So I had to make a hard decision to let a lot of my friends who I'd spent a good bit of time with go. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I, that's, to- I totally know what you mean. So when I... When I made the big changes, I cut everybody off. You know, it was the only way. I think you can go ahead and you can pull people up one by one, but you can't get out while you're amongst it. You have to get out, get yourself healthy, and then you can go back for people and pull them up one at a time. It's almost like when you're on a plane and the air mask, they tell you, put put it on yourself before you try to help the person next to you. First, you need to make sure that you can breathe before you try to help somebody else. So... I totally understand what you're saying, which is a lonely road because I think people, I think people want to change. I think a lot more people want to change that are in bad situations that don't. What happens is when they get out into the wilderness, I like to say, all of a sudden now they don't have anybody because they haven't developed a community yet. So they have to leave all the toxic relationships behind and now they're alone. It's that period that you have to go through while you start to cultivate more and better friendships that causes people a lot of times to go back because they're like, look, I, I might not have been happy where I was, but at least, at least it was familiar. You know, at least I had somebody next to me. I might not have been the person in my dreams, but it was somebody. I wasn't sitting alone every weekend by myself. Did you go through that? Yeah, in a way. I mean, when I started cutting people out, I, I was with my grandparents. So I would literally like be on their couch, like a Friday, Saturday night, like watching the Food Network watching Dancing with the Stars. And I chose to really get in touch with who I was, which then really helped me figure out who I wanted to align myself with. (laughs) Dancing with the Stars with your grandparents. Yeah, I'm not proud of it, but you know. (laughs) I I feel you. I went through the exact same thing, man. When I rededicated, it was like, I was going to like little kids' birthday parties with the pastor in my church. I just knew (laughs) I had to be around good people. And I figured if I hung out with them long enough, some of that would rub off on me. But no, I totally get it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. At the end of the day, I had to be patient and know that the right people would show up at the right time. And they did one by one. I started building a a good community of people around me and 
that just inspired me to do certain things. As a trainer, I began to get really passionate about improving myself physically, mentally, and emotionally. It really inspired me to take more action in other areas of my life, purpose and being mission-driven and, and all these things. I ended up joining a mentorship program with by Todd Durkin, who's been a mentor of mine now for, gosh, about eight years. I actually just had him on the podcast this week. When I went to his mentorship, Todd's is like, you know, if you look him up, anybody who's listening to this, he's one of the most highly respected fitness professionals in the world. I thought I was going there to learn how to do better push-ups and lunges because he's a trainer. He's trained like guys like Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Alaney and Tomlinson, some big-time football players. And really, we went there and we were set like five-year goals, 10-year goals, lifetime goals, like writing out your tombstone sentence and really like discovering more deeper into our message and into our journey of what we wanted in life. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I really had to look at myself in the mirror and be like, am I doing enough? Am I going to be able to die? And be like, do I matter? Yeah. Everyone kept telling me at this retreat, you have an incredible story. You got to write a book. You got to write a book. I was like, nah. And sure shit, I ended up publishing From Felony to Fitness to Free not too long after that, which was my first book back in 2014, which inspired people to make the most of their second chance, turn negative into a positive and focus on how far they've come, not how far they have to go. You know, a few months before I wrote that, the felony ended up coming off my record because I completed all the stipulations the judge gave me as far as my sentence. So he was like, you know what, if you complete everything without messing up, I'll take the felony off your record. And I ended up by the grace of God doing that. Right. My story evolved. I don't know if I've ever really shared this with you. It evolved even deeper because it's 2014, 2015. I am 27, 28. I'm ripped. I literally like, if you look at pictures of me back then, I had every like, I had like a 15 pack. <laughs> I was like jacked. I had like 5% body fat. I was trying to model for Abercrombie and Fitch. I was potentially going to go and try out to be on The Bachelor. Like all these things, right? That like you would think, like on the outside, I'm like freaking killing it. And I was making good money as a trainer. I was, you know, in recovery, just written a book. But inside I was miserable. I was spiritually broken still because I never had a relationship spiritually with God. Anything. I grew up very old school that if you're good, you went to heaven. If you're bad, you went to hell. And for me, I was on the highway to hell. So I was like, well, what's the point of even trying this, this walk of anything? Because I'm already going to hell. Yeah. Also, I was like, if God's real and God's about love then why, um, like, why is this happening to me? Like, why did I get addicted to drugs? Why am I not married? Like all these questions that kept popping up in my head. And what ended up happening was I just literally started training. I don't know if you know Ben Abel. Do you know Ben from Grace? Uh, is, is he there? a little bit bigger of a guy, right? No, that's Luke. But Okay, uh, that's who I'm thinking of. No, I don't know Ben. He, he knows who you are, I think, because we've talked about you, I think. But I trained him. He was a client of mine. And he kept saying, you know, you got to try this. You want to come to church? I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm going to hell for doing for putting you through this workout. And he's like, come on, we'll go to Chipotle after. And I'm like, no, dude. Like, like no. And what ended up happening was I broke down one day. I literally like cried because I thought I was happy, like I said. And it hit the point where I, just, I needed something else. Like I needed something because I just wasn't happy with the choices I made. I hadn't forgiven a lot of people. And what happened was I remember calling Ben. I was like, Hey man, I think I'm ready to give this Jesus thing a shot. I had no idea what to expect. Nothing. And I just remember running into him like at the gym. He's like, all right, well, we'll meet on Tuesday. Come to my office. And I literally, like, I had no idea what was going to happen. I get to his office. 
and we're talking and he's like, well, why do you want to do this? I was like, I don't know, man. I just, he just knew I was like down and out. And I remember just getting on my knees and praying like, you know, that I accepted Jesus Christ. And I, like all this stuff, like, you know, I'm not going to like, prayer, prayer. sure. Yeah. Right. And I remember just bawling my eyes out and um, crying and like feeling this monkey come off my back. And I remember like walking out of the church at Grace, calling my mom and being like, mom, I'm really sorry for everything I did when I was a kid. Like, I'm really sorry for the way I treated you and all this stuff. And I'd never done that before. A- after that, I just, I became very purpose driven in the sense that I was motivated to use my story as a means to help other people. And I, f- I started to really discover myself through going to just t- t- regular sermons through like linking up with different people and different groups that I was made for more than just to be a trainer. Yeah. I ended up publishing my second book, Faith Family Fitness, which was like my top 15 lessons I'd learned in 28 years and about how you have to step faith in God or whatever you believe. That's always what I say. I'm I'm not pushy on my Christianity and my faith because I believe that's where a lot of people go wrong. Yeah. Um, Well, let me pause here for a second because there's a couple things. I want want to talk to you about the faith piece for sure. So you mentioned before going to the mastermind groups and really like getting a vision for your life. You know, I feel like that is the thing, you know, the word says without vision, people perish. Mm. For me, when I rededicated, I started meeting with a life coach and she helped me get a vision statement. And it was the game changer for me because now all of a sudden I had a target. I had something that I was uh, shooting for a place that I believed when I got to, I would be really fulfilled. It wasn't enough for me to stop doing things, you know, whether it was breaking up with my girlfriend that I was having sex with. I had to, I had to know where I was going, what I was going to replace it with. Um, and it was only when I got that vision that I was able to make the hard changes. So how important was it for you to have that vision? Like if you didn't have the vision, do you think you would have been able to stay the course? Because I think that is the thing that people miss. Yeah. I I think what vision does is it gives you direction. It gives you clarity. It gives you like the GPS. Like if you don't know where you, in order to get where you're going, you gotta know where you're at. And you know where you want to go. You got to kind of craft that. And the next ten years, fifteen years, like, where do I want to be? Right. And it takes time. It's not like you can just sit down for like ten minutes. And be like, oh, like this is where I want to be. No, it took me like years of like really getting deep on this. And then I was able to like backtrack and be like, okay, like this is what I want. Like, what fits into that? Like, what do I need to do on a day-to-day basis? What do I need to do on a weekly basis? What do I need to do on a monthly basis to get from where I'm at right now to that moment yeah. that I want to be at, like when I'm looking at this vision, right? And, and it just really changed my perspective on things. It really changed my, um, the way I saw opportunities. Because I mean, there was a lot easier to say no to things that didn't align with that vision. Yeah. I think that really is the first piece. You know, there's a book uh, or Simon Sinek says, start with why you have to know why you're doing it because discipline, whether for you, if it's, it's working out or staying sober or whatever, sometimes it's so freaking hard that if you don't know why you're doing it, it's just too easy to quit. It's too easy to give up and go back to the bad behavior. So I think the vision is the first step. The next, one of the next logical pieces though is, is I guess that's where the faith comes in because as you start to move toward that vision and you're starting to you know, get hit with obstacles and delays and all the opposition, that's where the faith comes in because you have to believe that what you're doing is going to work. And that, that this is, you know, whether you believe it's God or 
or the universe or whatever your belief is. I know you and I believe that it's God and I know that it's God. You have to believe that this is what you're supposed to be doing because otherwise, again, you would quit. So do you think if you wouldn't have had that encounter at grace with, with Christ, do you think that you would have been able to maintain the course and still continue toward the vision? No. I mean, cause I think at the end of the day, like up until that point, I thought life was just about me. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I don't think that now still at times, right? Of course, like we get cocky and we get arrogant or like, which I think is it's good. I think, you know, to be proud of yourself. I think at the end of the day, like what drags people down is the fact they're in that state all the time. Yeah. You know? So I had to, because there's a lot of setbacks I've had along the way in my journey, even in the last few months, I've had a lot of setbacks, right? A lot of things not go my way. A lot of things that are like, right, why'd this happen? And just like having to know that things happen for me and not to me. Yeah, I love that you said that. And that's such a good way to look at it. There's something I shared the other day. It said, what if everything that you're going through is preparing you for everything you've asked for? Something like that, you know? And it really is that same mindset where you have to look at God as being this loving being that is trying to steer you into becoming your highest self and give you everything that you want most. You might not like it in the meantime and then, and, 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 you know, at the time that it's happening, but imagine like one of your clients, you know, like somebody came to you, Doug, and they were really out of shape. You knew that they wanted to be lean and muscular and you put them on a treadmill and they're like, shit, this sucks. I don't want to be here. What are you doing to me? Like, why is this happening? And they're like, I mean, that's kind of what God does is he puts us in these situations where it's uncomfortable. We don't like it in the, in the moment. But one day you look in the mirror and you're like, yeah, I'm ripped, right? Like that's the same thing. Of course, he can't tell you what he's doing because he doesn't operate like that. You just have to have faith that there's a process and just trust him that he knows what he's doing. But I really do liken a lot of the, the truths that I see in spirituality to fitness, you know, where delayed gratification and all that. Yes. Cause I think at the end of the day, like it's like the way people need to think of life is it'll beat you down, but then you'll build it back up. It'll beat you down and you build it back up. And when you're working out, when you're lifting weights, you got to tear those muscles down in order to be rebuilt, rebirth, you know, repair, like all these things. And I think a lot of that goes out the door when we think about like things in the here and now, because when we're going through adversity, we're going through tough times. We're like, Oh, like, why is this happening to me? This is bad. Like anything bad that's happening to me is going to correlate into bad things happening in the future. And we really, we neglect to know that every bad situation we've ever been through in life, we've always gotten through it. Somehow we figured it out. And at the end of the day, people need to know that because of the circumstances you're in, doesn't have to be the way it is forever. Right. Knowing whatever bad circumstances you're in because of that, it's preparing you for something in the future. And you're going to learn a ton of lessons, wisdom. You're going to learn things about yourself, how strong you are, how brave you are, how courageous you are that are going to prepare you for whatever you're about to attack next in your life. Yeah. I think that that is so key too, is like I often, you know, tell people, tell myself feelings aren't facts, you know, because it's such an emotional roller coaster sometimes. And I think what derails people a lot of the time is they get into a, a feeling, maybe they're depressed 
or it's hard and lonely, whatever it is. And then they do something to derail the train versus just go to bed, hit the reset button, try again tomorrow, because that feeling is going to pass. And it's a matter of getting to those little checkpoints. It's like when you used to play the video game where you were driving the car and then you got to a checkpoint and then you got like some more time and you could play. It's like, you got to get to the checkpoint so you can get a new life again, or, you know, you get that breakthrough that takes you to the next breakthrough. And, And a lot of times people, they quit before they make it to that checkpoint. So, which I think is super impressive about your story, because again, 12 years, it's a long time. You had mentioned about, you didn't say managing pain. I forget what the terminology you used a minute ago, but obviously when you were on the oxycodones and whatever else, when you were partying, were you using those to mask pain? Yeah. I mean, not physical pain, but like internal pain. That's what I'm at. Yeah. I had growing up. I mean, I've suffered every kind of abuse there is. I was bullied in school and I just lost as a kid. So instead of like trying to really figure out where all that came from and the roots of all that, it was more like, how can I just forget about this as fast as I can? How can I run away from my problems? How can I not speak up to figure out where this is all coming from? Yeah. What are you doing now? What do you do now when the pain hits? I try to dig deep where it's coming from. I mean, it's not always easy, I think, because you know, it's not, it's not as like obvious Mm -hmm. if I were in the situation back then and I had the knowledge I have now, it'd be easy to be like, Oh, like you're being bullied in school. No wonder you feel like shit. But now it's just, you know, like even like the simplest things sometimes might trigger something in the past and you know, you take time to be like, all right, well, why is this triggering me? Why am I going back into this situation? Right. And I think what happens is that, people when they get uncomfortable it's hard for them yeah you know and sometimes like for me now like when i experience pain like it's like you know you call a loved one you call someone you trust you get outside you meditate i'm gonna go hit some golf balls later on today like we're allowed to go outside here now so i'm gonna hit some golf balls because you have to get used to having these coping mechanisms in your tool belt in your arsenal because you don't never know you never know when this pain's going to come you never know when it's going to strike it just doesn't make sense sometimes where this stuff's coming from, but it's not your job to figure it all out. It's your job to figure out how you are on the inside and how you're managing all that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. So you mentioned like a, a couple things I see as a theme in your story is one, you had the guy in jail, you know, who believed in you. He gave you that nudge, right? You know, you, sometimes a nudge is all people need. They just need to know that someone believes in them and that they'll be letting someone down if they don't man up. So you had that with the guy in jail. And then even when you got out in your mastermind group, when, when you had this person that believed in you and then this community around you. So I really see, you know, you know, I talk a lot about community, but I, I see that as a consistent theme in your life is, is it really was uh, a game changer for you was having the right people in your corner that believed in you. No, you're right. I think because you have to have like people around you that are challenging, loving and supporting you unconditionally or you're going to lose. Yeah. You can only do so much yourself. And I think so many people, they get so cocky about who they are and the things that they accomplish that they're like, oh, like, I don't need anybody else in my life. It's all up to me. It's on me. Well, no, because you thrive off the energy around you, right? I thrive off energy. If I'm around people who are just constantly negative, I'm drained. Yeah. I'm around people that are just doing big things. That's why mastermind groups have always been powerful for me. 
because I'm surrounding myself with people that are doing some freaking cool stuff that are like trying to change the world and that are lifting me up too. Collectively, we're all a team. Right. And otherwise, I mean, me just sitting by myself being like, Ooh, like I could do all this myself. And you know, look at me, like it's just, it's just a different feeling. Yeah. What I really like, I think I like about your story. That that makes sense. Oh no, totally. Totally. I get it. What I like about your story is I think a lot of people, they might look at their life and they might see that the mistakes that they made and then they'll think that they're not able to accomplish something or that are disqualified from doing a certain thing because of the life that they lived. I know for me, it was that exactly. And it's the very thing oftentimes that you did the wrong thing that God will use to make you into what he wants. Meaning like for you, if you had never committed that felony, would you have ever been able to write the books? Would you have ever been able to go on all the shows and tell your story and inspire people? Honestly, without it, probably not. I look at myself and, you know, I was a big man whore. And it was, it's that very thing that you would have thought would disqualify me that God actually used to set other people free because you just have a certain, it comes with a certain platform, I guess, or a certain level of expertise for lack of a better term. I think people will watch this and they'll think of themselves as being like, oh yeah, that's great, Rob, or he could do something or Doug, he could write a book or whatever. But the only difference between you and them is the fact that you believed that you could. No, you're right. I mean, because I think at the end of the day, when we hit those big moments in our life, when you think like it's this big setback and you're like, shit, I mean, the pits of adversity, uh, you know, for me, it was a felony. And then when I got out, my family wasn't exactly aligned with me. Like all these things that like were setbacks, I was able to then get deep within myself to be like, how can I change from the inside out? How can I change my habits? How can I change my beliefs? How can I change my attitude? How can I change Doug's environment? to then commit to working on that and then having faith. I mean, just blind faith at the time. It wasn't like I had faith in God or anything else that if I did those things, the right people would come around. My mom would come around. There was a point in time where I kept pointing the finger at, at, at certain people, but it wasn't on me to control how they acted. It was on me to control how I acted. And that's all that I could control. I think the biggest mistake people make is because they're so unhappy with themselves and they, they frankly don't have the guts to look at themselves in the mirror and say that they're the common denominator in all their problems. Like they are the common denominator, whether it's in their job, their relationships, you know, friends, whatever, like they're the common denominator. And they're also the problem, which also means they can be the solution. Yeah. What are they doing to work on things? What are they doing to actually apply the things they've learned into their life? Because there's so many people can like read stuff online. They can see this, they can read motivational quotes, they can read books, but if they're not actually taking that, and applying it doesn't matter. Like you're just, it doesn't matter because the point of doing all that stuff isn't just to like build you up, get you started, but then like figure out, okay, like what parts of my life do I need to put this into? So if you had to break it down into a specific formula, formula of a comeback, because it's not easy to come back from a felony and do what you did, write books and go around and, you know, be on all these shows, inspiring people. What, what, I feel like that's what people want. They want some tangible steps, like some practical steps that they can follow if they're trying to come back from a, a setback, like you said. What would you say? Do you have a steps? Yeah, I mean, number one is to really look at yourself. Look at, like, look at where you're at with the decisions you're making on a daily basis. What kind of habits are you doing today? So for me, 
some of my habits that I was doing before the comeback, right, was binge eating on fast food. I was smoking tons of pot. I was putting stuff up my nose, selling drugs, running around with the wrong, like all those things. So I had to say, okay, like I did all that stuff and that got me into jail. So, okay, like what can I change now? Like what can I write down and be like, okay, like these are some things I'm committing to exercising every day, changing the way I eat, changing the way I talk to myself, changing the people I hang out with. And it takes time. Mm-hmm. So once you get like an overview of that, like what you need to address, then you can break things down more and get more specific and being like, all right, the people I was hanging out with, are they, if my future, if my future goal is to stay into recovery, not use drugs, do they support that with the way they behave? Here's the thing. So many people it's like they're half in, half out. It's like, if it's not a hell yes, it's a freaking heck no. You know what I mean? Explain that to me. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, so many people try to justify things. They're like, oh, this, that. And they're like, like in your gut and in your heart, if you know somebody shouldn't like be in your life because of where you want to go and how they behave in the court where you're trying to go in your future, like trying to hang on to that is just going to have you give energy into something that could be given to somewhere else. So, you know, it's either a heck yes or a hell no or hell yes or a heck no or whatever it is, right? You're, you got to set goals too. You got to be like, all right, I want to be able to get to a position in my fitness journey, say that I want to lose like 15, 20 pounds, right? So you set a goal like that because I think when you achieve a goal, it then sparks like something positive in you. You know, you get this sense of achievement that then carries on into other areas of your life. So when you set a goal like fitness where you lose 15 to 20 pounds, then you're feeling good about yourself like internally. Then you're feeling yeah. good about yourself mentally, right? So then like also setting goals. All right, I want to be able to land a job right? Because maybe a lot of people don't have jobs like the next like two months. So what does that look like? It means I got to fill out five applications a day. It means I got to be running around from place to place, like doing certain things. And you see where I'm going with this, right? Then you can start to build off that because I believe a true transformation isn't just like a one size fits all approach or like black and white. It's like a big commitment over time with like small steps in between. Does that make sense? No, totally. I was thinking about what you were talking about, you know, the fitness. I, I do a boot camp when I'm back home at 5.45 in the morning, a big part of it is definitely to look a certain way and stay in shape. But the other part of it is it's just the feeling of accomplishment that I get. You know, I go at 5.45, I'm done by 6.30 and you just feel like you can do anything that day because you just literally did the hardest thing that you're going to do all day before most people wake up. You know, it just gives you that, that feeling of accomplishment and then you just go and crush your whole day, you know? So I totally get it. And I think really everything that you said, it, it really all boils down to discipline. Everything is discipline, setting the goals, doing all the work that you need to meet the goals, getting up early, dieting, whatever it is, it all boils down to discipline, doing stuff that you maybe don't feel like doing in the moment to get the payoff later. Yeah, you're right. And I think at the end of the day, it's not necessarily the goals that that get people derailed. It's more the commitment to themselves and the discipline of doing it every single day, because there's going to be days you don't feel like working out. There's going to be days you don't feel like drinking water. There's going to be days you don't feel like journaling, but it's the days that you don't feel like it are the days you probably need it most. Yeah. Right? That's like the biggest thing that has helped me is knowing that the biggest part of my transformation was the days I didn't feel like doing jack crap. I would amp things up. I'd go for an extra run. I would call extra, whatever it was, 
because like otherwise like not doing anything will just make things worse. hundred percent. When, I mean, that's the funny thing about depression is when you, you get depressed, it makes you want to do nothing, but the more you do nothing, the worse it gets. So you actually have to be very intentional and push back against it or otherwise you'll just fall deeper into it. I had a friend that I was talking to the other day and she's, she's going through it. She's depressed. And I'm like, you know, first off, make a gratitude list, start making a gratitude list every day. She said she was doing that, but where she's lacking is vision. She doesn't have a strong vision for her her life. But I was explaining to her that, you know, she's got to get into a routine that she follows every day because the day she's not working, she said she was sleeping until two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, you can't do that. Sleep an extra hour if you want to on the weekends, hour and a half, whatever. But you have to stay in your routine, whatever your routine is. For me, it's quiet time every morning. It's visualize. It's read a little bit of the word. It's do a gratitude a couple times a week. It's working out five times a week. If I do those things consistently, it produces good results. I look at it like I bodybuild it in my early twenties. And you know, like the only way that you can measure that you're going in the right direction, like your muscles going up and your fat is going down is you have to eat the same thing every day. It sucks, you know, but it's the only way to tell what works because everybody's body's different. So you have to do this exact same thing every day. And then you go back and they pinch your body fat and then they, they tell you, okay, well, we're going to reduce uh, your oatmeal by a quarter cup and we're going to give you three extra egg whites or whatever it is. And they just kind of tweak it until they figure out exactly what works for you. So it's like the only way I feel like to measure if you're moving in the right direction is you have to do the same thing every day for a while. Mm. Wouldn't you agree? Right. Yeah, because I think so many people change their routines because they get bored with stuff. And they, they fail to like see things through. So they can't see the progress. Like even if it's an exercise, like they'll mix up their workout routine so much that they're not able to see if they're actually getting stronger on a squat or getting stronger or getting more endurance and they're doing push-ups or holding a plank. Or even like when you're doing some sort of practice when you're journaling, you might be journaling for like 10, 15 minutes a day and somebody might do it for like three days. And they're like, oh, this isn't working. I'll have to change it. But they haven't even seen it through. So like do it for like three weeks then see how you feel instead of three days, you know? It's awesome. And just being in a community of people that are journaling also, it kind of makes you, because I didn't journal before when I was in the club scene. Nobody journaled. Nobody, if anybody did journal, they certainly didn't talk about it. But it was only when I really started surrounding myself with better people that you start hearing about these things. You start hearing about people that are, are pursuing these big goals and waking up early and, you know, not going out and doing certain behaviors that might, might hold them back. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm super inspired by your story. I'm grateful for your friendship. I definitely think, you know, the people that watch this interview or listen to it are going to get a lot out of it. So tell people where they can find you, where they can find your books, how to connect with you. So I'm pretty active on Instagram at Doug Bobst. And if they want to know like some of my top things, like the recipe to success of how I wake up every day, if they go to www.dougbobst.com gift, there's a five-step formula I use with all my clients and how I help people really become their best self. My books are all available on Amazon. So if you just search for my name on Amazon, all my books will pop up for sure. Awesome. I appreciate you having me. man. Definitely, man. I, I, I watch your stuff on Instagram and it inspires me. And, you know, community is definitely key, but sometimes you can get motivated just by seeing somebody. Like The Rock inspires the hell out of me. You know, I follow his page and I look at his grind and it's because of him that I get up at four o'clock in the morning when, you know, not now I'm getting up at like five, to be honest. But when I'm back in Baltimore, I get up at four because I'm like, if that motherfucker can get up at three forty-five, and he's already got it all. If I had my lat, Gary V, I mean, 
there's a bunch of people, man. Yeah, Gary, Gary's definitely one of someone that got me started on a lot of things, specifically the content. But I'm going to follow those other guys. Tom Billhue and Ed, was it Ed Milet? Yeah. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, go ahead. I'll let you get back to it. I appreciate you coming on, dude. Was, All right, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, great hearing your story. All right, I'll talk to you later. Later.